What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. Today's Baseball America Podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. Baseball America Podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20 today. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thank you, Dave Slade, and welcome to another college baseball podcast here at Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com. Visit us on iTunes. We've had some nice reviews lately. And actually, the uh, podcast listed in the What's Hot in the college section of the Sports and Recreation podcast. That's the first time I've seen that happen uh, in eight, nine years of us doing these podcasts. So thanks, everybody, for the download. Uh, joined by Jim Schoner, Mike Lanana, and Ted Cahill this week. And guys... Uh, I know you guys have soldiered on without me on a couple of funky, fresh podcasts the last two weeks. Um, since I've been here, since I haven't been here, Miami ascended to the number one spot in our ranking. I know you guys, uh, a couple of you guys saw Miami this weekend. Uh, we'll just kind of go down the, 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 the poll real quick, but we didn't have it. Uh, this feels like this is the most clear cut our top three has been all year. I mean, Miami, Florida, Texas A&M, these are the three teams that have been number one at some point during the season this year, Teddy, um, these three teams, especially A&M sweeping Mississippi State this weekend, th- those three teams feel like they are – it's a pretty clear demarcation there, and not just in our rankings, but in how these teams are playing, right? I mean, like outside of – both A&M and Florida have each lost one series, as has Miami, but these the series lost here all to each other basically, right? Yeah, um, and those three teams – are all, I mean, they, they have 29 wins, Florida has 33, the other two have 29, and um, they all went on the road and won this weekend. Florida and AM both swept, like you mentioned. AM went into Mississippi State and got a sweep in Starkville, which had just gone to Gainesville to right. beat the Gators. So that was that was loud, and AM is playing really well right now. They've scored 10 or more, I guess it was 10 runs in their last five SEC games. Um, so, that, I mean, they've, since losing to Florida, they've really really figured things out and, and gotten on a better track. And Florida, you know, rolling again. Uh, they beat Florida State midweek. They go into Arkansas and they sweep the Razorbacks. We're scuffling a little bit, but Florida, you know, taking care of business, coming off of that series loss. And Miami handling being number one for the first time since 2008, just fine. Um, you know, they're, uh, they dropped a game at Duke, but, you know, otherwise um, it, was a, it was a good week for the Hurricanes. And Duke has uh, has been some good teams this year, so that was a that was a nice series win in Durham uh, for Miami. And yeah, I mean those three teams, they're really talented and they're playing really well. And I, yeah, like you said, I, I think all of us just felt like those feel like those are the three best teams in the country right now. I mean, Mike and Jim, you guys saw Miami this weekend, did you not? I mean, did, did Miami look like a number one team? I mean, Jim, you've seen a lot of this over nine years here. I mean, Miami looks like a number one team, doesn't it? Yeah, they look really complete. I mean the they did get a rough. I saw. The, I didn't see the Friday game, but I saw them Saturday and Sunday. They did have one uh, rough outing from Michael Mediavia on Saturday, but um, they came back. Danny Garcia was great yesterday. Uh, Sunday, um, the offense picked it back up. Uh, it was Zach Collins. It's a big three-run home run. Uh, Willie Brayu had a good game on the Saturday game. But I mean, it's just a really deep, really. You know, other than really their number nine guy, who's not. Is like in the low 200s, but like their top eight hitters are all dangerous. They all bring something to the table, whether it's speed or power, or just hitting ability. So it's, I mean, it's, they're very good, and they've been, you know, they lost that two out of three at home to Florida, but otherwise they've been very, very consistent. And they've won 12 in a row before Saturday, and then when you lose one, I kind of like the way, and you quoted Zach Collins talking about it, Teddy, uh, saying, yeah, we got a little big-headed um, on Saturday, and then you respond against uh, Brian McAfee, not like he's a dominating pitcher, but he's been very effective for has, most of the year. He has a lot of big wins. I mean, he yeah. beat Virginia, he beat Georgia Tech. He uh, there's another one that I mean, he's he's gotten wins for them. He's been a, he's one of the better Sunday starters in the country. Most teams don't have that good of a Sunday star. I can tell you that uh, North Carolina and NC State and a lot of these other teams in our rankings would like to have Brian McAfee as our third starter and uh, and to come back and kind of 
dominate that Sunday win 9 nothing. I thought that was just an impressive show. But then after those top three guys, uh, after that clear-cut top three, didn't seem like Mike when we met last night on the conference call Monday, uh, Sunday night. We didn't really have a clear four or five. <laughs> four through ten, is this too much for me to say that you could kind of throw four through ten in a hat? Is there any separation for you in that group of teams? Yeah, you know, last night was a difficult call for all of us, I think. I mean, we had, I think it was five of our top ten teams all had losing weekends, which, you know, obviously led to some shuffling. I, I think we all, I mean, it was interesting. Usually it seems like we're on the same page when it comes to the top ten, but I think we all had kind of a different ordering for these these next groups of teams. You know, I don't think there's a big separation. Uh, I, I know one team that we kind of struggled with placing was Louisville. Right. Um, just because they haven't won on the road uh, this year. But you look at their overall resume and you look at the wins that they, they do have. And, I mean, 29-7, and seven, I mean, and obviously they swept Clemson this weekend, an impressive showing there, you know. Um, so, I, you know, it's tough at this point to, to say any of those teams really separate themselves. Mississippi State is, is really tough to read yeah. just because you look, I mean, they're 24-12, and 12, but you look at the series wins that they have. I mean, they were number two, but team last week for for good reason but and it was like it was like their resume coming into this week yeah was as good if not better than anybody's resume yeah and now all of a sudden the gang swept they, at home and yeah in, in jim Callis terms they fouled the bed uh, <laughs> jim yeah. usually used a harsher word but uh, that's the that's the clean uh, podcast edit version <laughs> and we had a pretty difficult time like you said they were the toughest team to place yeah. In our top 10, if you don't have the BA top 25 in front of you, Miami, Florida, A&M, we went up with TCU at four. That's really more like TCU hasn't done anything really egregious all year. But they're also not even leading the Big 12. Texas Tech, I believe, is leading the Big 12. Yeah, LSU, I don't feel like LSU's overall resume uh, stacks up necessarily next to Mississippi State's, but they have played better of late. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with Louisville. I mean, Louisville's... Uh, got three series losses, but they're all good series losses. And I guess the main part was really kind of we debated how far to hit Mississippi State, yeah, um, and kind of what to do with that. I mean, Jim and I, I mean, the old line, old guard BA guys that we are, we're both like sweeping home must be punished. Yeah. So that was kind of I mean, that that's, that was really kind of it, wasn't it, Jim? I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, certainly a series win at Florida and a series win at Vandy on their resume is. And there's really no one that has two good road, two road series wins as good as those, but you can't get swept at home. Yeah, <laughs> it's and just that kind of loses you a lot of goodwill. I, you know, for at least for me. But we did keep them ahead of Vanderbilt. They won that series. Vanderbilt, it feels like Mississippi State has more good series wins than just about anybody, except for those top three teams in the rankings. I mean, yeah, and they to me still probably have the best series win on the on the board. You know, yeah. Florida beating Miami. Maybe is better. I don't know. I, I go back and forth on whether Mississippi State beating Florida is better than Florida beating Miami. But, I mean, they have one of the two best series wins on the board, at worst. And they beat Vanderbilt. And, I mean, this weekend was weird, but A&M is just incredible right now. And so I I was uh, I was not looking to, to hit Mississippi State as hard as, uh, you know, some... As we wound up doing. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, like Jim said, you can't... Don't get swept at home. I mean, that, that's uh, that's not a good look, no matter what. But I mean, the talent the Mississippi State has is it's real, it's there, and I wouldn't be worrying too much. I didn't drop them out of my eight for Omaha. I mean, they have proven they can play with anyone and beat anyone. They just did not do it this weekend for whatever reason. And on A and M, so I guess first time since 1987 they've scored double digits in five straight games. Um, has there been a, a, an offensive player or two who's really jumped out, guys, to you guys? I mean, I, I, I think that, like to me when I look at the, when I watch those guys, uh, Melton at first base can doesn't matter how big the ballpark is, he's going to hit it out. Feels like Michael Barris gives him a great veteran leader behind the plate. I feel like he's contributed more mm-hmm. offensively this year. Nick Banks is Nick Banks. I mean, Boomer, hasn't quite Boomer had... White, the TCU transfer, has been a, he's hitting over four hundred. He's been a huge addition. I and mean, that it feels like who else? Well, that's that's one example mm-hmm. of Boomer White. It feels like they're not just a one or two guy. You can't just be one or two guys to score that many runs up and down the lineup, Teddy. No, it's a it's a very deep lineup. And that's really what A and M has going for it. You know, if you're looking at pitching or hitting, it's just there's so much depth there, and it's not necessarily the pr- most prospect depth. 
Um, you know, Hunter Melton is a first baseman, and he, that is, he is what he is. Boomer White is, um, you know, he's he's not a, an elite prospect by any means. Um, but they're just a bunch of really, really good college players and, and guys that, that have the tools to, to succeed at this level. And, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll keep it going in pro ball, but they're not, they're not elite prospects, but it's just one through nine. They're, they're just all hitting. They have, I don't know, it's like 10 guys hitting over 300 or something. I mean, it, it, what A&M can throw at you is just a lot of different ways to beat you. And, you know, it's Melton hitting home runs. They have some speed. Uh, you know, Nick Banks, uh, you know, is a, is a very diverse player. Yeah, well-rounded guy. Yeah. I mean, but they have two guys with more than 10 stolen bases. You know, they have Melton there with nine home runs. Boomer White does not strike out. He has seven strikeouts this year in uh, 36 games. And, you know, so it's, it's a disciplined team. It's a veteran team. And it's, a, it's, a, it's just a very deep lineup. Yeah, it's really fascinating to look at them and see, like, just how many guys have contributed offensively to them. And they kind of look like an NC State offense here locally mm-hmm. that, like, does have a deep lineup. Only this team has more power. And just up and down, they're deep, but it's a better it's a significantly better lineup, and and I just I'm also impressed by A and M just that they they have had bad news this year whether it's right. a rough weekend or injuries uh, nothing has seemed to really slow the mix up for Florida. I mean they had one bad weekend. Otherwise, it just feels like A and M has has kind of been a steamroller. The other part of this top ten that jumps out to me, guys. I know this is not new territory, but as a very SEC heavy mm-hmm. group. How many of these teams, I mean, Jim, you're our show nerdology guy, are all these teams in the mix for top eight national seeds in hosting? Or is there one team that whose resume maybe we have them hired? Like, is LSU's RPI put them on the LSU. outside looking in compared to, like, a top eight or a host? Yeah, I mean, LSU is kind of the, Super the interesting one. Um, I mean, see, the thing is, like, we have all these teams that are so high in the RPI, and it's just, I don't, I have to, I have to go through and see if it's ever happened. I don't think there's ever been a conference that's gotten four national seeds in one year. I'd have to go back there. I know, I mean, I know there have been years where you, they probably could have. I mean, last year it looked like they had a chance to, and I think they ended up getting two uh, from the SEC. But, yeah, I mean, you've got Florida, A&M, and um, uh, Miss State last week. Those right. were my three. This week I'll probably um, – actually, no, last week was uh, Florida, South Carolina, and Mississippi State. South Carolina, which also lost this weekend. Right. But, um, Anyway, so this week it'll probably uh, probably swap out to at least so to drop uh, Mississippi State, probably bring A and M back in up there. But yeah, I mean all those teams are in the running. LSU is a little further down in the RPI. I think they're like thirteen uh, right now. But I mean certainly they're in the mix to host. All these teams are. I mean Ole Miss is still kind of up there. They're in the top ten, even though they're under five hundred in the conference. Um, I mean yeah, all these. There's no one. None of these teams are out of the mix. I think it it'll just depend on how. You know, how the conference standings turn out. I mean, Miss State's down in third in the division now after right. this sweep. It really that puts do- them behind the eight ball, really does. It really does feel like there are only four teams. <clears throat> there are four teams in the SEC that are kind of out of it. Tennessee, Missouri, Auburn, Arkansas is a surprise. Yeah. I think we thought those teams, but at 4-11, and 11, they're tied for last yeah. in the entire league. Uh, Auburn's 5-10 in the league. They're the only team in the, in the whole conference under 500. Uh, you talked to Scott Strickland yesterday, uh, Teddy, I guess Georgia is kind of the only real X factor. Everybody else in the SEC is playing for, like, are we going to be a one seed or a two seed? Are we going to have a chance to host a regional? That kind of thing. Georgia is really like the only bubble SEC team. And I would say they kind of put themselves back on the bubble this week by, by beating the, the Gamecocks. And here's your reward four game roadie at Clemson in Florida. I mean, they really kind of have to. And they also go to Vanderbilt next weekend. So. Uh, this is not an easy way to get into it, but this is what it is. It's the it's the SEC, and like Scott Strickland told you, Georgia should probably go to regionals every year. How would you handicap their chances of going there this year? Well, it was like when I was looking at that. I mean, I knew it had been a while, but it's been since 2011 for Georgia. I mean, it's that's a long a, time. It's a long time for them, and they uh, they missed the SEC tournament completely last year. So they're in a good they're in good shape right now to go back to Hoover, which is step one and then step two would be to to find a way to get into the tournament and they have their rpis in the 30s right now um you know they have some nice wins 
it's just going to be a matter of can they stay around 500, above 500, because you know that's that's a, a cut line of sorts. And it's not going to be easy because they go to Florida, they go to Vanderbilt, they still have Ole Miss, and then they close at Missouri. And none of those are particularly easy. So I think they could do it. I mean, I, I don't know that I would have expected them to beat South Carolina at home this weekend anyway. So, right. Um, you know, they just have to... Just have to keep their head above water somehow, and and so far they've been able to do it. They had an incredibly tough SEC schedule. Strickland, I didn't, I didn't put this in there, I guess, but he said that you know when they saw it come out over the summer, they were like, oh boy. But you know, I mean, it is what it is. You just got to go play it, and you know they're they've got a chance. It's a it's an intriguing team. They're definitely playing pretty well right now after um, you know getting really. Beat yeah. down at, at AM. They lost that series by a combined score of 30 to 3. I was going to say, in convincing fashion, if you didn't want to get specific. <laughs> but it was ugly. Yeah, that was that was not great. But they responded well, and um, you know, now it's it's four really, really hard games. And uh, you know, if they can uh if they can manage to go two and two this week somehow, you know, I, I think that'd be uh be a solid week for the Bulldogs. Anybody else worried at all, or am I making too much of this about about the Gamecocks? It feels like South Carolina really, I mean, obviously, this team's had a, a great season, uh, but that wasn't a great week. They gave a lot of runs against North Carolina in the middle of the week, and I, I don't know, uh, yeah, I just I feel like South Carolina like has pitched better than anybody imagined they would. Is there any worry about the fact that they had two double-digit uh, games this week uh, you know, on the mound? I mean, they lost that Georgia series basically because Braden Webb and Josh Reagan, who had been two of their best pitchers, right. picked the same weekend to blow up. Yeah. Um, now, Georgia, you know, Strickland told me that, that what Georgia did was they laid off Webb's curveball. They forced him to throw it. They wanted to force him to throw it for strikes because yeah. he has a big 12-6 to six breaker that often finishes out of the zone. He couldn't land it for strikes, and so they were hitting his fastball. So maybe that's a path forward for other teams that right. they can they can copy. And if that is if that it becomes a blueprint, then that maybe is a concern for South Carolina. And Josh Reagan, I mean, it was going to happen at some point. Nobody's I, perfect. Yeah, I would not be overly concerned about that. I mean, what happened in the midweek was very strange, and I don't really know what to make of that against against North Carolina, a team that had been struggling offensively, dropping 15 runs. Um, and it was a little bit of help, but it wasn't even. It was like 15 runs in the, like the last six innings. Wasn't it scoreless through three? Tyler Widener's pitching. Yeah, I mean uh, it, was, it was a very strange game. I so the last time um, South Carolina dropped a series, it was at Vanderbilt, and they responded with a nice four and zero week. So we'll see what they do this week. It's it's a nice week for them. They get Missouri at home, and then they get Florida coming in. And, and this is really their last kind of, I don't know if you'd say, you would say breather, but this is their last series against one of those teams we talked about that's kind of clearly out of the running. So this is this is it. If, you, if you're looking for a breather, if you're a Gamecock fan or player, this is it. And they're tied for first with Florida. I mean, to me, it feels like if they win the SEC East somehow, they're going to be a top eight national seed, no for matter sure. whatever Most else definitely. comes through. So yeah. there's a lot on the line for them. I guess LSU was the other SEC team. I know we've talked a lot of SEC, but that's the other team I wanted to kind of touch on, guys, because it just it, it feels like their resume has been a little thinner. And yet, when I look up and down their schedule, they really, for, for the most part, <laughs> uh, they win games against teams that they you know they got that poor start in the league with Alabama and A and M, but they have figured out how to write the ship since then. What, what's the main way they've righted the ship? I don't know who I don't know which of you guys wants to be our LSU expert, but <laughs> how they righted that ship. You know, I, I really think the, the key for them and the reason why they were struggling early on in SEC play is just figuring out what they're doing offensively. Just because, I mean, you look at how much they lost from last right. year. Last year they're an offensive juggernaut. They lose eight of those nine starters in their starting lineup. It's going to take some time to put the pieces together and find, you know, the right combination. And, you know, you look at what they've done offensively over the last few weekends. I mean, this weekend against Missouri, you know, 7-5, 9-5, you know, they're, they're scoring more. They're scoring more consistently. Uh, you know, I think... I think we always thought that they would have the pitching just because right. they bring back Poche and Lang. And I know Lang has had his struggles at, at times this year, but it seems like he's starting to right the ship a little bit. So I, I think the key for them has really just been figuring out the offensive side. And they've done that over the last few weekends. 
And this weekend, they had to do it. I mean, Tanner Houck, that's not right. somebody that you get right against offensively. I mean, we can talk about how Missouri's out of it or whatever in, in terms of um, yeah, you know, with their RPIs and everything. But what they do is they pitch. And yeah. when you have to face Reggie McLean and Tanner Houck yeah. on the first two days, I mean, that is not an easy task. And you know, they, they go out and they score runs in those games. And they, they're able to win those two games on the road. And then they finish off the sweep with, uh, with a nice 15-2 to win. I mean, it is the offense, for me, that, that's doing this for LSU. And... It was another good weekend. They scored on Vanderbilt last weekend. Right. You know they beat Sheffield and they beat Kyle Wright. I mean, it's they're they're starting to beat good pitching, and they're going to face more of it this week when they play Mississippi State. That's a pretty good sign. They're, they're not just doing it against uh, lesser clubs and lesser pitchers. Because when I've seen Tanner Houck this year on SEC Network or on TV, I mean, the guy's nasty. He's got electric stuff. He was good last summer. I mean, I know like. If I'm thinking sophomore pitchers around the country, the first three that really do pop up to my mind are Bukowskis for North Carolina, Tanner Houck, and Alex Lang. And Lang and Houck are facing each other this weekend, and uh, you know neither one of them makes it to the seventh inning. But for Alex Lang, that's like that was actually progress, that he didn't walk five guys, kept his team in the game, and winds up out-dueling uh, Tanner Houck in a game that was a little bit more offensive than you would, might expect with those two guys pitching. Yeah. So. I definitely would also think Fado and Clark Schmidt. But, I mean, those two guys, that, w- that was a nice preview for the 2017 draft class uh, on Saturday. In those Columbia. five guys are pretty good. That's a good. That, that's a better group than what we have this year in the junior class. There's, there's not a doubt about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's a Baseball America podcast. I do want to remind you that if you've ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online, most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. And we want to remind you that SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you save time, you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. I'm sure that if the Carolina Hurricanes were in the NHL playoffs, Jim Schoenard would be using SeatGeek for hockey tickets. Unfortunately, you'll have to be using those for Washington to, Capitals tickets. Before this to Vince Lara get some uh, Blackhawks tickets. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's our closest uh, Stanley Cup tickets uh, hookup, but... You know what they do for SeatGeek? They use—they don't even use hockey terms. They just use red, yellow, and green. They give you a grade on every ticket and every seat based on value, so you can immediately find the underpriced seats. And before you buy, you use their detailed maps to see the view from where your seat would be. Best of all, SeatGeek's honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek allows you to see the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Baseball America podcast listeners get a twenty-dollar rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So to get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, and enter the promo code BA20, that's BA20, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download that free SeatGeek app today and enter the promo code BA20. And we want to thank SeatGeek again for being part of the Baseball America podcast. Guys, a good time to transition uh, elsewhere, I, I mentioned J.B. Bukowski because I am interested in the ACC a bit. But to me, the jumping-off point for that league is not Bukowski in North Carolina. It's uh, You guys uh, got to see Florida State in here this weekend. You guys talked a little about Miami, but Florida State did not show out as well, Mike. You saw them against Wake Forest a couple of times. Yeah, Wake Forest certainly has kind of been like bubblicious for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, and Usually their bubble bursts. I don't know how much beating Florida State could help them. It feels like the bigger problem is that they're – 22 and 17, kind of a borderline top 50 RPI. But I take it that your look at the Seminoles wasn't uh, glowing. Yeah, well, you know, you it's go, one look, but it's one look, it's one look, it's one weekend. Um, but going into that series, especially knowing the ballpark that they were playing in, I was figuring we'd see three high scoring games. You know, I thought maybe, you know, Florida State might drop 20 at one point. <laughs> right. You know, you never know. As they're apt to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so I was shocked on Friday to see that FSU lost nine nothing. I mean, Parker Dunchy for for Wake Forest, who's you know far and away their their best pitcher on that staff. I mean, he for seven innings, he said after the game he didn't have his best stuff. He wasn't able to like, the slider wasn't there for him as much as he as he'd like it to be, but he still was able to quiet a you know a potent offense and a very patient offense was able to throw strikes and locate the fastball. And then you look at Sunday, they hold Florida State to just two runs on that day, really with a, almost a Johnny Holstaff approach on that day. 
So I was I was surprised first of all just to see the limited offensive output from Florida State other than that Saturday game. Unexpected. Right. And no. in looking at looking at Wake Forest, you know, I give them a lot of credit. Even in the game that they lost, thirteen eight, they were down ten four at one point. They scored four runs in an inning, making a ten eight game. I mean, they were in every game, they were competitive, they weren't intimidated certainly by the Seminoles, and it was a good, uh, really an imperative bounce-back weekend for them after getting swept at NC State. I mean, they needed that to remain at least somewhat in the conversation. And, I mean, there's there's a path for them. I mean, they're hosting UNC this upcoming weekend. That's a winnable series, again, it is. given the way UNC has played lately. And then, you know, they have road trips to Virginia Tech and Boston College. Those, those are winnable series. They, they finished with Louisville um, at home. Um, which is where you'd want to play Louisville. You know, Louisville obviously is going to have edge in that series, but you know, I could see a, a path for Wake Forest, but obviously they need to to win. They need they need another you know marquee series win. You, I would you hit on the key point is that they are not good on the road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they, even if you're playing yeah. Boston College at Virginia Tech, BC it's, and Virginia Tech are looking to those like that's a series we can win because right. Wake has struggled on the road. I mean, even if you beat bad teams on the road, it still helps you RPI wise. But you got, I mean, they haven't won a road series all year. They're right. They're six and twelve on the road, and it's just. It's kind of like you're saying, but they're just kind of built to win in that ballpark. I the mean, show yeah. does not like it. <laughs> no, they would not score well on the uh, yeah. Matrix there. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I'll tell you what's, I'm, what I'm surprised by is how well the ACC scores in the RPI. Six teams in the top 14, five top 10 teams. Clemson's, you know, a 667 team. That's fine. They've won two out of three games. North Carolina and Virginia is similar. Virginia's down at 36 in the RPI. I know Clemson's had a pretty good schedule. Um, get swept this weekend. It doesn't seem like Clemson is a top ten team. We don't even have them ranked. Um, what's the glitch in the matrix there? That's got five ACC teams in the top ten, or is there a glitch? It's hard to explain. I mean, it's tough to figure. I mean, Clemson. You know, they won that South Carolina series, and that's really all they've. I mean, I think they're getting. I feel like the. Whole, I can just kind of, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. The fact that Pittsburgh has played well. Yeah. Pittsburgh plays a lot of road games. They're seventeen. They're seventeen and fourteen. So number you, forty. You, you, that's, so that's, that's where I was gonna, That's going to raise everybody up. And that's, BC's been better. And that's another team that plays a lot on the road. So I feel like those two teams. That's going to kind of raise everyone. I up. think what the ECC doesn't have this year that they've had a lot of years is an anchor. They have one, but they don't have yeah. like three. Right. It's kind of like we talk, the, the ACC we talked about. Yeah. yeah, the, the Pitt three is 40. Outside. And, yeah. yeah, and the ACC doesn't. Pitt's 40. Duke is 52. You know, right. I mean, it is BC's re- the only other team outside the top 52. Everyone in the league is in the top 52, but BC at 81 and Virginia Tech down in the 180s. Uh, Packy Naughton, not happy about seeing that. Just Packy Naughton. Just going to keep saying it all year. That's a fantastic name. But, but Pittsburgh is one of those teams like... <laughs> I just didn't understand that their RPI would be that high. I know they had to play a lot of road games. That's a team that played the first third of the year without its ace. Yeah, I yep. wasn't terribly impressed with them in person, but I was impressed with their grit. Is is Pittsburgh an at large team? I mean, like can they steal if a they... bid from somebody else? Their their schedule down the stretch feels doable. Their road series, they have a road series at Miami. No That's thanks. Home. Oh, that the other yeah, Miami. they play Miami, Ohio at home this weekend. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yes, not Miami, Ohio. They play both Miami's. That might be the only common opponent for both Miami's. But their ACC series remaining are Virginia at Notre Dame at Miami, home to Duke. If they win three of those four series, or as Ray Tanner would say, series. I don't know how they're not going to get in with that RPI. Obviously, they have to do it. But it feels like this is going to be a record-setting year potentially for the ACC for bids. It feels, it feels plausible, but at the same time, these middle-of-the-pack ACC teams are going to take themselves out, I feel like. Like, we can't get a feel for who's good and who's not in that middle-of-the-pack. We've talked about that a lot. Right. And Notre Dame, All of a sudden, Notre Dame's playing Notre's really playing well. well. Right. Clemson is trending the wrong way. And Notre Dame and Clemson, and then North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia Tech, BC, uh, Pittsburgh, all those teams have between eight and nine wins in the ACC. Yeah. The only team that's really separated, that used to be in that pack, that has separated itself from that pack is the pack, and that's that, that's why I went that whole that whole rigmarole there. Um, Packing on. That's right. It, it started with that. Um, but NC State, I feel that the reason NC State has done that is that outside of Miami, 
they are this other deep lineup. Uh, you know, they're second in the ACC in batting average. They're second, I believe, in slugging, if not third in slugging. Uh, I think Pitt's slugging numbers are really jacked up from playing Grambling early in the year, and they had a bunch of home runs that weekend. But it feels like, you know, Louisville has this just very explosive offense. But NC State's the other one, and I didn't think they could do that, Jim, because they strike out so much. Exactly. But it really feels like NC State's found a way to be more consistent offensively. I don't want to give too much credit to Brett Kinnaman, this freshman left fielder. But NC State does feel like they're more sustainable offensively now than they were a month ago when it was like, okay, did Chance Shepard hit a home run today? No, then then State didn't score. They put up exactly. 23 this week. I know it's Elon. I know Elon's struggling. But 23, is a, you don't do that by accident. That, 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 no. yep, you, they did it mostly on their own. It wasn't like North Carolina walked them 10 times like they did against Virginia. Yeah, I mean, certainly Kinneman's been a, a nice little addition there, a little fine as a freshman. I think you know, they've kind of played around with where to put Brock Dethridge and Josh McClain, their two speed guys, to kind of get the most out of them. Both those guys have hit well. And they've kind of, I feel like Preston Palmero's been a little up and down, but when he gets hot, that's a big piece for them. Same with Andrew Kisner. And Chance Shepard, I mean, he's he's got the I mean, he's got all kinds of power. He kind of struggled in conference play, but he hit a he hit a grand slam yesterday. And the do you not know, they throw him lost a fastball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or do not hang a curveball that he sees early. Yeah, he punishes um, mistakes for sure. But yeah, I think I mean it's a kind of like we said they don't really have a, a you know they don't have that one guy say that you that you would say oh we can't let him beat you. Or then maybe, you know, like we're saying with Shepard, we don't throw him a fastball. Right. But that was a, but pretty... it's a They have a lot of, you know, they have seven, eight guys that can all, kind of like with Miami, like I said, they all can do they all can do something for you. Those are all preseason top 25 teams we're talking about. And a lot of these ACC teams, Louisville, these kind of Florida State, NC State. Um, the, the, the conference that's the opposite of the ACC is the Pac-12 right now. I mean, this is the other conference that you think of as a power conference in college baseball. The Big 12 has fallen off a bit the last couple of years. You know, the Pac-12 has uh, swollen up as a, as a league. It used to be the Pac-10. Now it's got 11 baseball teams. I never, ever thought, Teddy, I would look at the Pac-12 standings halfway in and have Utah at the top. And that the only former six-pack team at the top is Cal. And Cal is struggling in this kind of post-Dalton Jeffries world they're living in right now where uh, their Friday ace has been laid up. I mean... The biggest shock, I guess, in the Pac-12 is the O-State ball is losing a series to Wazoo. What, what, what in the wide world of sports is going on in this league? Nothing. Cats and dogs are living together. I don't understand anything in this league anymore. No, I mean, like the Oregon State loss at Washington State maybe was the the wildest thing, but we also still have Utah at thirteen and nineteen overall in and in first place. They've won more Pac-12 games already this year than they've ever won in a season since they joined the conference. I mean the. For a while, it was the Big 12 that was the most confusing thing ever to me. I think huh. we've, we've kind of settled on the Big 12 standings at this point. Right. The Pac-12 remains completely befuddling. Uh, Oregon State going to and, and losing that series to Washington State is just I I don't I don't know. I mean, Washington does not State compute. totally does not compute. Washington State had won ten games going into that series overall. They were ten and nineteen going into that, um, and. Oregon State is a good team. Like maybe, maybe they're not as good as we thought preseason when we thought they were a top ten team. Certainly, the Rasmussen injury hurts them. It does, but, but I mean, they still won twenty two games before this weekend. Right. Like, I mean, I, I know the schedule is not the most imposing thing you'll see, but neither is Washington State. Like, uh, so they are not the most imposing thing you will see. Um, Dominican trip though. Wazoo, mm-hmm. one of these teams that took a Dominican trip. They did. You wrote it. You wrote about the, the in the off season about the bonding, the the international trips. Um, obviously, it's a you know new coaching staff, some new energy at Wazoo. It's just stunning to see that this is the weekend that it bears fruit. Well, we we have talked about teams that don't play well on the road, and it's weird that I'm about to say Oregon State doesn't play well on the road because they have to play on the road a lot, but right. they don't play well in true road games this season. They did fine when they went to the neutral sites in Arizona for the first couple of weeks, but in their true road games this year, they are not doing so hot. You know, they got swept at Cal. They've now lost to to Washington State in true road games. They're four and five, and um, you know, so they're they're going to have to figure some things out. They go to Utah this weekend. Right, it's not easy to play in Salt Lake City. Obviously, the Utes are playing well. Um, you know, so they're, they're going to need to figure out how to win games on the road. It feels like a really gut-check series for Oregon State because if they 
they lose this series at Utah, Utah will be, I would imagine, somewhat emboldened by winning that series. And uh, well, if they lose the series, they're already at forty-four. I mean, right? You know, Utah is still sub one hundred RPI. Utah is the first place team in the Pac-12, and they're the second to worst RPI in the Pac-12. Only Wazoo is worse. So if you're Oregon State and you lose back-to-back series of the two lowest-rated RPI teams, Jimmer, how soon do you start worrying about them as an large bid? I mean, forget there's just no way they're going to host a regional. Is there at this point? No. Even if they go on a miracle run to do that. Yeah. I I mean, so they're 44 right now. The Beavers are there. I think if they win enough of these series, I think they have like Arizona and Oregon and stuff to play. So they have enough top 100 games left. As long as they win them, they should be fine. <laughs> right. But, yeah, see, so they got Stanford, 65, Arizona, 53. So there's enough there, but they've just got to play better. I mean, that's they're 6-6. Six and six. If you're a 500, if they finish around 500 and in the 40s, then you're squarely on the bubble. Well, we had a few technical difficulties there, and we lost John Manuel in the process. Uh, but we He's were... okay. He's, not, he's just, <laughs> he had to leave. Yes, uh, the technical difficulties did not impair uh, or did not injure John in any way. But we are we are down, John. Uh, we're still talking college baseball here. I'm Teddy Cahill. We still got Jim Schoenard. We still got Mike Lanana. You know, we're gonna we're gonna close out the podcast with uh, talking about some of the teams we brought in this week. We have three new teams this week. Uh, we have Michigan State at 23, Louisiana Lafayette at 24, and Coastal Carolina at 25. All three of those teams uh, have been ranked already this season. Uh, ULL and Coastal both were preseason ranked. Uh, so it's not particularly surprising to see any of these teams here. They all had pretty nice weeks. Michigan State goes 4-1. and one. They beat Michigan um, in a midweek non-conference. They won a, a series against Purdue on the weekend. Uh, Lafayette beat Southeastern Louisiana on the weekend. That was uh, a nice non-conference series win for the Cajuns. And uh, Coastal just keeps rolling in the Big South. They swept Presbyterian, and they beat Charleston in the midweek. Now, Jimmer, I know, previewed the uh, Lafayette-Southeastern series uh, for us in Weepree last week. What did you think of that series? It was a nice, fun series um, Mm -hmm. to get added to the schedule this year. I know those teams were looking to maybe – boost their RPIs a little bit. You know, what, what did you think of the, the way that played out? Well, I mean, that's a pretty impressive series for Lafayette to go on the road or to pull out that Sunday game on the road. They won the Friday game at home. But, you know, and they kind of did it, and they had to come from behind to do it. I think they were down like 4-1 to one or something in that game and had to, you know, fight their way back. I mean, they're a, you know, Lafayette's more of a, a pitching and defense team. They haven't really been that explosive offensively. But, and, and, and you know, Southeastern's been a good on the mound. They have, you know, Deep rotation, good closer in uh, Dominic Carlini, but they've, um, you know, they were able, or Grania rather is the closer, but they were able to come back and win that game. And that's, so that's, I mean, Lafayette, you know, they're in the, as I certainly, they're, they're in the hosting mix. I mean, they're 15th in the RPI. I think they're, you know, the stumbling block is they're still behind South Alabama, which I'll have a little more on them, but um, in, the, in the Sun Belt race, I should say, they're still, they're still second place. But if they can, pull out and either, you know, maybe tie for the regular season or win the tournament, something like that, they could definitely be end up as a host. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was a, a really good non That's about as good a non-conference series win as you can as you can get, really, especially, you know, given the, uh, you know, the uh, time of the year. Yeah, the Sun Belt race got a lot more interesting this week. Uh, Lafayette obviously took a step outside of the conference to, to play that series. Um, South Alabama had been 15-0. and um, They were playing at App State this weekend, last place Appalachian State. Uh, and they went and they lost a series in Boone. And App State going into that weekend had won eight games. They were 8-25 and going in. And their RPI is 242. And South Alabama really couldn't afford to lose that series. They still have a nice lead in the conference. They're four and a half games up on Lafayette. But now they go outside of conference for this weekend. Uh, and Lafayette has a chance to make up some ground. Uh, and then those two teams play later this season at South Alabama. So South Alabama's still in the driver's seat, but that conference is definitely in play now, and that might be what it takes for, for one of those teams to yeah, get I think definitely whoever wins the, that race is going to be in a good shot to host. They're both, uh, you know, in the right RPI, South Alabama is only, I mean, even though they lost that series, they're only down to 20. So that's still, you know, well within range. And, you know, like Lafayette's, uh, so whichever team, it's like Conference USA, whoever comes out at, on top of that race is, is should 
have a good chance to host. Now, Conference USA, um, we had Southern Miss ranked. Uh, we dropped them in favor of Coastal. Mike, that was, uh, that was a point of contention last night on the, the call. That was, that was really the last thing we were trying to decide was came down to Coastal and Southern Miss for that last spot. Southern Miss lost a series to Alabama-Birmingham. It was their first uh, series loss in conference play this year. Uh, that's another series that they really should not have lost. Right. Um, but they did beat Ole Miss in midweek, so they went 2-2. Two and two. Uh, versus Coastal, which has just been rolling in the Big South, and ultimately we go with, with Coastal. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made that Southern Miss's overall resume is still good enough to keep them in the poll, and, you know, certainly that's an argument that we entertained and thought about for a while, but, you know, in general, when your top 25 team loses a weekend series, especially a weekend series that on paper should have won, you know, you drop that team from the top 25. I felt like from a pole mechanic standpoint, really with 23 through 25, you know, usually I feel like we have a tough time deciding who to drop sometimes. But this week, you know, when 23 through 25 all have losing weekends, it makes it a little bit easier, uh, at least I thought. Um, you know, as far as Coastal Carolina goes, I mean, they, they've just been very steady, really, these last few weeks. I mean, they've won 14 out of their, their last 15 games. You know, they're they're in first place in the Big South at 11-1. and one. You know, they're taking care of business in conference. And, you know, their RPI, they're solid RPI-wise just because they played, you know, four tournaments to start the season, four straight tournaments, and, you know, a, a lot of tough matchups there. So, you know, they're a quality team, and just like Louisiana Lafayette, we had them ranked in the preseason, so we've, we've liked them. So, you know, it made sense to me to bring them back in. And, you know, they have a couple of interesting midweek games this week against UNC, you know, a team that has been struggling a little bit lately, and against College of Charleston, another team that, you know, lost against a team it should have beaten this weekend against Hofstra. But still, two quality teams and two quality matchups, you know, especially RPI-wise for them. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they keep rolling this week. The other thing about Coastal this week is they then play High Point on the weekend, and High Point is in second place in the Big South, and Coastal has a nice advantage there, but they can really uh, solidify the Big South regular season title potential. They're not going to clinch it or anything, but they can they can get a nice cushion going if they uh, right. if they get a series win this weekend. And the other thing about that that Coastal Southern Miss argument for me is that Coastal doesn't have anything remotely like losing to Alabama Birmingham, which is not having a particularly good season. Uh, Coastal's got the one losing weekend. It's in a tournament. They lost to Ole Miss that weekend. They lost to Cincinnati, which is now losing or now leading the American Conference. To me, that I, maybe I look at who you lost to a little more than I should versus who you beat, but uh, to me, that 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 was kind of a, a separator there. But the the good thing for Southern Miss is that if they take care of business the next two weekends. You know, we'll find out. We'll find out exactly what Southern Miss is the next two mm-hmm. weekends. They play Rice. They play Florida Atlantic. Those three teams together, the top three in the standings. Um, Jim, what do you? What do you, I mean? We get Southern Miss at home against Rice, and then they go to Florida Atlantic. What? What are you? Uh, what are you looking for from the Golden Eagles the next couple? Uh, I still weeks? like Southern Miss's team. I still think that's a, you know, a pretty explosive offense. But I mean, certainly that, that was not a series win. That I mean. <laughs> A series they should have lost, but they are still tied for first. They're tied with Rice. They get Rice at home. I mean, if that's if they take care of business, I mean, Rice is playing very well. I mean, we keep boost, boosting them up the rankings, and you know, well, does it, and does it, you know, because they're earning it. So I mean, you could certainly make an argument that maybe Rice should be favored. And plus, it's Rice. They always win Conference USA, so they're kind of the default uh, twenty default position. Yeah. So, but I mean, Southern Miss. I mean, they're good enough to win that series. I mean, it's going to be a good matchup for their their offense against Rice's pitching. Um, but whoever wins that, you got those three teams, FAU, Southern Miss, Rice, whoever comes out on top in that race should host. I mean, there's a chance two of them could. Can't rule it out, with, given the uh, lack of hosts in the West. But, uh, I mean, that's certainly that's, that's definitely a big series uh, this weekend. I touched on the American there really briefly. Uh, Tulane had been 24. They drop out after losing a home series to Cincinnati, which is now 6-3 and three in the league. Uh, this is a team that uh, was pretty terrible last year, despite having Ian Happ, the ninth overall pick in the draft. Uh, but they're playing really well right now, and the American guys is confusing. They've only played three weekends, uh, which makes it di- more difficult to sort things out when you've only played three weekends. But so far we have Cincinnati in first, and then UConn at 5-3. and three. Uh, And then East Carolina, which is a team we thought would be good, but you know they're, they're sitting there in third place uh, with UCF. And then Tulane at four and four, and Houston, 
who we thought was the preseason favorite mm-hmm. for sure, three and six. I know we talked about Houston and East Carolina when they when they played that series, but what are we making of this conference? I mean, this was a really good conference last year. Yeah. It was third in the RPI last year. A lot was made of that, and now this year they are not. They're the number seven RPI, and it just doesn't look like we have any kind of team like we did last year in the conference, where Houston, you know, won the or, or uh, hosted. And, you know, several teams were, were kind of in that mix. And, it was a four-bid league last year. Yeah, now, and now it, doesn't, it doesn't look like it that. It might only be – it could be a one – I mean, it's possible it could be a one-bid league. I mean, right now the, Pir- the Pirates are the only team with a, a good enough RPI to even be in at large. They're 29. No one else is even in the top 50. It's Cincinnati, it's, 119. One night, they're the, the Utah of the, uh, the American yeah. there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that – Houston, I mean – you know, we love Landrip and Romero. That rotation. I mean, that's you know, that's been. I mean, those guys have pitched well, but they are just not hitting at all. I mean, I think I don't know what I think they. I don't know how many runs they scored this weekend, but it was not the two game, the games they lost. They were getting shut down. I think I heard up they scored you know two runs or less in eight of eleven games or something like that. So they are just they are just not hitting. They're three and six, sixty eight in the RPI. Yeah, I mean that league is. Uh, I mean, it was t- it was t- it was very. Last year it was very compact, other than like the top, you had Cincinnati at the bottom, but the top seven were all pretty tight. This year they're all tight, but it's, they're all, it's just, they're just, it's just not, this is not the same quality. I mean, hey, sorry, sorry Vince Laura, our American uh, correspondent, but it's, that league is just not having, just not having as good a year, unfortunately. Yeah, there really isn't a team in that conference that separated itself from the pack. I well, don't think. Uh, sorry. Yeah. One thing that could happen here is East Carolina. Um, I know you've seen them. The yeah. next three weeks, this is what they've got. They've got NC State and High Point this week, UConn, NC State again, Cincinnati, and then UConn, and then North Carolina. I mean, do you think they can, can get through that? And I mean, if they do, I mean, Cincinnati and, and UConn are the two teams ahead of them. Uh, I mean, you, you would have to think at that point they'd be closer to first place, if not in first place. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I could see ECU doing that. I mean, this is a it's it's a tough division. I mean, the first three weeks have been you know really tough to predict. But you know, I think ECU of, of the teams that I've seen in the conference, while they're not the most prospect heavy team, they seem like the the most complete team just in, as far as what they can do offensively and and they pitch well. You know, Evan Krasinski has been great for them on Fridays, and you know they have a they have a, a solid college you know weekend rotation. So. You know they certainly do have a chance with with their schedule here to to make some noise and you know to to possibly emerge at the at the top of the conference. They have the chance to separate themselves from the pack. But I feel like you could say the same thing about a couple of teams in that conference. You know I feel like there's not a, a wide gap between you know the top team in the conference and the and the bottom team in the conference when I look at what they have talent wise. Yeah, I don't even know who the top team in the conference is. Right, uh, that's the thing. It's it's really tough to. It's a really difficult uh, conference to to break down and handicap. Cincinnati has been really good. Obviously, they've won their first three series. Um, they pitch really well. Uh, that that was that was how they beat Tulane this weekend. Tulane's a pitching and defense team themselves, and uh, Cincinnati beat them at their own game in their own park. Uh, and UConn throws Anthony K at you on Friday nights, and that's that's really tough for any team to to match up against that. So they're always a, a tough, you know, they, they, they always are, are tough right at the, the start of a series. So, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know how this is going to shake out. It wouldn't surprise me if Tulane, uh, which is, you know, sitting there in the middle of the pack is able to, to get going a little bit and, and, and get their way back to the top of the conference. But this was a weekend. I think that they kind of needed, you know, home against Cincinnati. They, uh, they, they really it would have been a lot better for them if they had won that that last game on on Sunday. And if they had, we would have no. It, it would be what is it? Five teams then would all have five wins. Um, oh yeah. So that's how tight this conference is. Is that just Cincinnati winning that one game has provided us with the slight bit of separation that we do have uh, three weeks into the season there. So those are the teams that came in uh, and the teams that went out. Um, you know the we're getting down. We're in the second half. Uh, a lot of these conferences. I mean, not, not the American, but you know, some of these conferences we're getting through to the second half of conference play. Even we're 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 starting to get down to it a little bit. Uh, but was there anything that uh, that surprised you guys? Uh, are we past the point of surprise at this point? You know what what stood out from uh, from the rest of the weekend? 
Well, I think we touched on it a little bit, but the Charleston getting swept by Hofstra. I mean, I had Charleston as a host uh, last week, and that's pretty much out the window now. I don't. I mean, their RPI is not too far gone. I think they were down to 30-31, but I mean, you can't get swept by Hofstra. Hofstra's not having a good year. They're well under five hundred overall. I mean, it was on the road, but still, I mean, that's that's a very bad series loss. And I mean, I can't. I mean, Charleston, they're still in okay in shape to get in that large as long as they don't mess up again. But that's, I mean, that was a team that really cost itself a lot uh, in one weekend. Yeah, for me, I don't know if I was really surprised by anything so much. Obviously, those losses that we, we touched on were, were a bit surprising. But, um, you know, one thing that I like from this weekend is I feel like we're getting a, a little bit of a clearer picture of some of these conferences now, the, the pecking order. You know, I think what NC State did against Georgia Tech you know, added a little bit of clarity to the ACC, a little bit, you know, there's still, it's still a little bit muddled there in the middle of it, but um, I thought that was, that was big for them, and I think in the Big 12, obviously Texas Tech has, has established itself as a, as a power in that conference, and, you know, the Pac-12 continues to establish itself as a, as a mystery, you know, it's, you know, um, I, I expect to be surprised by Pac- the Pac-12 every, every week, I mean, I don't, I really, I don't, we've obviously very talked about them in this podcast. We don't have to continue down that road. But To be perfectly honest, I'm yeah. not quite sure whether uh, you will hear all of our Pac-12 talk or not, but yes. Yeah, so, but it is nice to get a little more clarity in some of these other conferences and to be able to see the picture a little bit better. That's one thing that I've liked now that we're in the second half of the season. Yeah, and uh, I just want to shout out Shane McCarthy, uh, right-hander from Seton Hall, threw a perfect game on Friday. That's perfect game number two of the year in college baseball joining Jesse Schultons at Wright State. Uh, that, that was a pretty impressive game for McCarthy. I mean, every perfect game is, but he did on 88 pitches. Yep. And he struck out eight guys. Uh, so, I mean, that's a, that's a fair amount of pitches just to get those eight strikeouts. So to, to get uh, an 88-pitch perfect game against Long Island, Brooklyn, uh, very good for, for McCarthy and, and for Seton Hall, which is uh, an interesting team in the Big East. We did not talk about the Big East, but uh, Creighton, Seton Hall, and and St. John's look like they're uh, they're all going to be fighting up there. And McCarthy's uh, tough to beat there on, on Friday nights uh, when, when Cian Hall can throw him. So congratulations to him. Uh, it was a great weekend of college baseball. We're looking forward to another one. Uh, we want to thank you for, for listening. We want to thank SeatGeek for sponsoring this podcast and all Baseball America podcasts. Thank you to John, although he is gone. Uh, <laughs> having uh, messed up our our recording Um, and thank you to Jim and Mike for joining me. I've been Teddy Cahill. Thanks for listening. This concludes our program. Visit BaseballAmerica.com for more podcasts. Today's Baseball America podcast was sponsored by SeatGeek. Baseball America podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BA20. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.